on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant and blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Thank you, choir. scripture reading this morning is Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not it's time for our prayer and praise time. I have one that I know of. Kenny Rudiskild is in the hospital, and he's having suffering from some apparent heart issues. So he definitely needs our prayers this morning. I have a praise. I've been working on a project for way, 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 way too long. And I finally brought it home. It's not 
completely finished, but uh, hopefully tomorrow I can have it operational. <laughs> so that is will be a huge relief in my world. So let's uh, sing our introit as we move into prayer time. As we watch the world around us starting to come unraveled, as you pull back the angels that hold the four corners, we know that your return is soon. We know that we face trials and troubles and heartaches like we've never seen before. But we know that you will be with us through it all. We ask especially that you would watch over Brother Kenny and give him the reassurances that you are with him. And reassure us all this morning that you have promised that you would be with us until the end of the world and that we would be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. This is showing red. Anyway, um, I'll start from here. Uh, so, again, good morning. Happy Sabbath, everyone. It's a great pleasure and joy to be with you, as always. Um, and this morning, we're actually going to start a a series on a sermon series on the concept of faith and is this sure uh, we're going to start a, a series on faith uh, what it is and uh, various different things in the bible stories situations in which we see faith exhibited and which we don't see faith exhibited and so today we're going to start off, we're going to be doing this for the next, um, 
It's probably going to be a three, maybe four part sermon series. So today we're going to lay the foundation, the baseline. What We're going to find a definition in the scripture of what faith actually is. I'm not really sure. I guess it was a Holy Spirit thing. When I first came into the Adventist church, the subject of faith was just, uh, I don't know, a Something that I I spent a great deal reading about and trying to figure out what faith actually is. And um, so we're going to start off our sermon series on faith this morning. And uh, before I... Is it ready? Awesome. Great. There we are. But before I begin the sermon, I'm going to pray one more time and ask the Lord to, to be with us this morning. Kind Father in heaven, we're so grateful for another opportunity to be here to worship together. We're so thankful for bringing us safely through this week, and we want to pray for, I'm praying for all those who are here, and I'm praying for all those who wanted to be here but couldn't come for whatever reason. Lord, we're praying your spirit be with us. Uh, I'm praying that you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive the words you have for us this morning. And I'm praying, Lord, that the words that are spoken today would come directly from your throne. We love you, Lord. We need you. And uh, I'm praying these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I said, the, the concept of faith has been a special interest for me as I came into the Adventist church. And I've heard many loose definitions over the years of what it is. Um, I remember early in my Christian experience, before I came to the Adventist church, I was probably 18 or 19 years old, a friend was describing what faith is, and he said, you know, faith is like sitting in a chair. It's like, you know, you have faith in the chair that it's going to hold you up when you sit down in it. And I was like, okay, that, that makes some sense. And then another friend, um, I'm a welder by trade, and I was working in a specific, I was in a welding, one of the manufacturing plants that I was working in, and my head engineer came to me one time, and uh, he gave me a print that he wanted me to build something, and I either must have been grumbling because I either didn't feel capable of doing it, or I just didn't want to do it, and so I was grumbling about having to do it, and he knew that I was a, a Christian, I was a person of faith, and and he said, uh, he said, Drew, I believe in you. He says, I have faith that you can do this. He said it with a smile. He knew that I was a Christian. He was kind of just playing on words at the time. And so what faith actually, uh, what these two individuals were actually kind of outlining or expressing is trust. And faith and trust are synonyms of one another, but faith is a little bit more narrow in how it can be used. And so that's what we're going to flesh out this morning as we establish a baseline, a foundation for our sermon series on faith. So let's turn to our scripture reading uh, as Bob read in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk is one of those minor prophets. It's a hard book to find. It's going to be toward the end of the Old Testament. Uh, One of the little books... Habakkuk is a prophet, his theologians are a little, uh, it's kind of a little obscure as to when he was actually prophesying, the time that he was a prophet. Uh, as we read in chapter 1, he, he's, he's somewhere during the time of Manasseh, he's either right before Josiah or right after Josiah. It's a little, theologians don't exactly agree. We know that he was definitely prophesying before the Babylonian conquest in 605 B.C., as we will read. 
So Habakkuk chapter 2, um, but before we read chapter 2, we've got to get some context of what he's even talking about in chapter 2, so we're going to read a few verses from chapter 1. So I'm going to start reading in chapter 1 and verse 1, and the Bible says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, he's crying out here. In verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. So here he is, he's crying out, there's violence in the land. We know that during the time of Manasseh, Manasseh led the children of Israel into many abominations, idolatry. They were sacrificing their own children. We, uh, Manasseh was a very wicked king. So here, here um, Habakkuk is crying out, Lord, how long is this going to go on? How much longer are you going to cause me to see all of this violence, this evil, and you're not doing anything about it? So he's crying out for judgment. Let's continue reading in 6 through 11, and then we'll get to chapter 2. God responds. He says, for indeed, in verse 6, I am raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians. He says, he calls them a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar, and they fly as an eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and the princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes, he transgresses, he commits offense, ascribing power to his God. So Habakkuk is crying out, Lord, do something. How come you're not doing anything? And God responds, I'm working on it. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a nation that is what they were not a world power at the time. They were just arising. They were just coming up. And he says, they are going to come and execute judgment in this situation. So God responds to this prophet. A couple things that I want to note here. Um, The prophet Habakkuk is very candid in his prayers with God. He's just like many others. He's just like God. the relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants us to pour out our hearts to Him. He is very... He's, very, he's not glossy at all. He's not holding back. He's saying, Lord, look at the evil of this world. You're causing me to see all of these things. How come you're not doing anything about it? I don't know about you, but I've, <laughs> there's been multiple times in my life, especially in the last few years, I'm like, Lord, how much longer is this going to go on? When I see, when I see things happening in the government, when I see things happening in the world, when I hear the evils of human trafficking, I'm like, Lord, how much longer is this going to go on? So I can identify somewhat with the prophet Habakkuk in this situation. <clears throat> so we know, a couple things to note, the candidness is just like David, Jeremiah, Moses, many of these great men of God 
were very open and transparent with God in their prayer life. Now let's go to chapter 2. This is where we get into our scripture reading. Listen to what the prophet says in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. There's another thing that we can take note of. These are all side notes from the sermon that I'm giving you. When you pray and you're asking God for something, watch to see what He's going to do. Expect that He's going to answer your prayer in some way. That's what He's saying in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I am going to watch and see what He does. Not that you're sitting in your room waiting for God to do something, but begin watching for how He's going to answer in your life. Begin watching. Begin expecting that He's going to do something about it. Here we go. Here's our our sermon, or here's our our text. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is up, not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Paul, I love the, I love the, the fact that God is the one who said, the just shall live by faith. Paul must have loved that quote because he quoted it numerous times in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1 is just one of them. I think he quotes it two, maybe three times. The just shall live by faith. So we're pursuing a definition. If faith is something that we are supposed to live by, and according to Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you have been saved through faith. If it's something we're saved by, and if it's something that we're supposed to live by, I think it would be a good idea for us to know what it actually is. That would make sense, right? And so I think that might have been what drove me in my pursuit to understand what faith is and to develop a series on what it actually is. God is telling us that the just shall live by faith. I want you to... There's a, there's a sermon, a scripture that I always use to illustrate what faith is, or I, or I, derive, I, I gather a definition from it. It's the same text. It's a, it's, a, it's a text in which Jesus is commending someone for having great faith. So wouldn't it make sense to go to a place where Jesus is commending someone, we're learning about faith, where Jesus is commending someone for having great faith. Let's go find out what he's talking about. What is this faith? So keep your finger in Habakkuk. We're going to come back here. It's a hard book to find. So keep your finger there. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 8. This is the story of the centurion. Jesus is commending this man for having great faith. Matthew chapter 8. A.T. Jones pulled the definition from this text that has revolutionized my Christian experience. And I'm going to tell you what that definition is. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read 5 through 10. 
You know, I actually used to, back in the day, when I was preaching to congregations this size, I would have the congregation read along with me, so I wasn't doing all the speaking and talking. But then I was in a very big church, and I couldn't do that. I may have to go back to, like, hey, read this for us, and you could hold a microphone. That would be great. Anyway, I'll do it today. Matthew chapter 8, and let's read 5 through 10. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, not even in the church, not even in the church have I seen this level of faith that this man has just exhibited. Let's break it down. This centurion needed something accomplished in his life. What did he expect to do that thing? What did he expect to accomplish that thing? He comes asking for something. He's asking for a specific request. The answer that I'm looking for is in verse 8. What did he expect to fulfill his request? The word only, right? Only speak a word. So this centurion knew or had seen enough of Jesus. They said there's something different about this guy. That whatever he speaks, that thing happens. And so he, he says this, these words that we're reading. Jesus was amazed by his expression of faith. He's expecting the word of God to do it. To do whatever he's asking for him his, to fulfill his request. A.T. Jones, he pulled a definition. A.T. Jones was a, a theologian, early theologian in Adventist history, uh, 1880s and 90s. He pulled this definition from this text. He said that faith is expecting the Word of God to do what it says and the depending on the Word of God to do what it says it will do. Because the Word of God is powerful, amen? It's by the Word of God that we understand the world was made. He spoke and it was. He said, let the grass, the trees, the birds, let them come forth. What happened? They came. At the Word of God, everything we know and see in nature was created, was formed. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter, in Hebrews, I, uh, maybe chapter 8. <clears throat> the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the Word of God is living and active. 
It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. The Word of God is powerful. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, God says this. He says, So shall it be the word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will accomplish the thing that I set it out to do. It will not return to me void, he says. It will fulfill or accomplish whatever I am speaking. Beloved, I remember when I was a teenager, late teens, as I told my testimony, 17, 18 years old is when I began seriously reading the Bible. And I remember reading this text in Titus where it says that it's impossible for God to lie. And I remember thinking at the time, well, God is just too holy to lie. He wouldn't do that, right? It's impossible for him to lie because whatever he says happens. So I am a human being. I can lie to you. I could say to you that the pews that you're sitting on are made out of solid gold, right? I would be lying. They're not made out of solid gold. They're made out of wood. They have some cushions on them. But if God were to say to us today, the pews that you're sitting on are made out of solid gold, although it may not have been true before he said it, as soon as he utters the words, the pews are made out of solid gold. It's impossible for him to lie because contained in his word is creative power. And this is what our faith is built on. Dependence on God and His Word. Faith is expecting the Word of God to do what it says and the depending on the Word of God to do what it says. So we're going to go through a lot of examples in our sermon series together. I'm not going to go through all of them today, but I will mention a couple of them. Because you could ask the question, well, what does faith look like? What does it actually look like? Well, it depends on what the Word of God, what part of the Word of God you're considering, right? So, if you're considering the part of the Word of God where, where Noah's being told to build an ark because a flood is coming, faith in action in that moment looks like building an ark even though you've never seen a raindrop in your life. Because you're expecting that the Word of God is going to come to pass Despite your senses, despite your, your perceptions, you're depending on that word to come to pass. And just as God said would happen, a flood came. And the only ones who were saved were the ones who believed in faith that a flood was coming. And they took the, the means of salvation that was given to them. They acted in faith. They were expecting the Word of God to come to pass. What does faith look like when you're being told to take your only son, the son whom you love, the one whom I said all nations are going to be blessed through this son. I want you to take that son, take him up to Mount Moriah, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. What does faith look like in that circumstance? Faith looks like getting a knife and going out up to Mount Moriah because even though according to your circumstances in front of you, if the son is dead, how is the word going to be fulfilled? 
Faith is expecting that the word of God is going to come to pass and not even death itself can stop that. Faith is expecting that I don't know what God is going to do. Abraham reasoned in his mind that I guess he's going to raise him from the dead at some point and I'm not even going to see the fulfillment of this promise. But he still believed the promise that it was going to happen and that his his seed would be as the sand of the seashore as a result because of what God had said. We're going to go through many examples in the Bible over the next month or so as we consider what faith is. Jesus puts it slightly differently. He says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Because if you're depending on the word of God, and you're expecting the word of God and his promises to come fulfilled in your own life, then you're automatically living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's something that we will flesh out and we will learn and we will understand over the next few weeks. What does a life look like when we read the promise in Philippians 1.6 when the Bible says that he who has begun a good work in you will finish that work? It looks like a life of peace. Because you're depending on God and not on yourself. This is why the Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Because if we are not depending on God and His Word, that means we're depending on something else, namely ourselves. Faith is depending on God and His Word only. So when we read promises in the Bible that he who has begun a good work in you will finish it, will perform it, I'm resting in Christ. I don't, have to, I don't have to work my own way. I only have to depend on Him to continue to do the work in me. And when I see the shortcomings in my own life, I just go back to the source. And I go back to abiding in the source. Jesus says, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. So if the fruit is bad, that means we have to go back to the connection. That means the connection is bad. We often try to fix the fruit ourselves, and it ends up very poorly for us. You have to go back to the connection because the connection is bad. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the beginning and the end. As this is why the Word of God is powerful. All of His biddings are enablings. There is creative power in the command to do whatever it is that He's asking us to do. There is creative power in the command. And that's why the Word of God, as we memorize it, it transforms who we are because of the power contained in it. It transforms who we are as we memorize it, as we meditate upon it. That's why God tells His people, meditate on these words. When you're, going, when you're walking down the street, when you're in the house, discuss these things with your children. The Word has the power itself to change who you are. 
All of God's biddings are enablings. All right, I hope your finger is still in Habakkuk. We're going to close. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We're going to read it for the third time. The just shall live by faith. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but in the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Expect that it's going to happen because it will surely come and it will not tarry. God is outlining what faith is. And then he says in the next verse, the just shall live by faith. He says, even though you've never heard of the Chaldeans, even though you've never heard of the Babylonians, they're actually going to become a world empire. And even though there's some obscure nation over here that you've never heard of, Expect that because I said so, it's going to happen. I'm telling you what is going to happen in the future. There are times that God is speaking things into existence, and there are other times that He's just telling us what is going to happen. In this case, He's telling us what is going to happen. Well, did the Babylonians come in 605 and take over the Jewish, the, over, the Israel, over the Israelites? We know that Nebuchadnezzar did. And so he's saying, even though it looks impossible, even according to your senses and your circumstances, it doesn't make any sense. Guess what happens? Right on time, according to the Word of God. The prophet Habakkuk may have never even seen this happen. That's another thing that we'll focus on at some point in our series, is that just because you may die preaching the second coming of Jesus Christ, it does not change the fact that it's happening or not going to happen. There were 4,000 years that people were preaching a Messiah is going to come. Untold millions, if not billions of them died waiting for this promised Messiah. Even though they came and they lived their life and they died, the Messiah still came. And the Messiah is still coming. He's coming back to take us to be with Him where He is. Though it seems like it isn't going to happen, cling to it. Depend on it. Depend on God's Word. It will happen because God cannot lie. Living by faith is expecting the Word of God to do what it says. And as we expect it to do what it says in our own lives, we will automatically be living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Throughout this series, we're going to look at various people, situations, and scenarios. We're going to analyze different characters and situations in the Bible in the next month or so, and we're going to concrete this understanding of faith in our minds and in our lives because I'm telling you, it transforms us. Because God's Word transforms us. I don't know about you, but I don't have any hope of salvation outside of what the Word of God tells me about salvation existing in Christ alone. I'm depending on that. I have no hope of salvation outside of what the Word of God tells me. I am depending on His promises when He says, Whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I am depending on that. Every time I have to run to Christ in prayer, I am depending on that. 
I'm depending on the words of Jesus in John 3.16 that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I am depending on that. I have no other hope of salvation outside of those words. I'm depending on the perfect life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ for my salvation. That's what faith is. It's a dependence on God. It's a dependence on His Word. There are hundreds of promises in the Bible in which we can take God at His Word. The Bible is a book of promises. His commands are actually promises to us of what and who we can be when in a right relationship with Him. God's Word is powerful. And as we depend on it, it will transform who we are. How many today would like to depend on Jesus as their personal Savior? To depend on His righteousness for their salvation. The Bible tells us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, so I would depend on Him. If I were you, I would depend on Jesus. Maybe there's expecting that He will save us because He can't lie. His Word is true. It has creative power. He will save you. Jesus says that whosoever comes to Him, He will in no wise cast out. How many desire to depend more fully on God and His Word today? Are you with me on that? Amen. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to to seal our promises, to seal our decision as we seek to know Him more. Let's pray together. Kind Father in heaven, we need You, dear God. I'm so thankful that You have preserved Your Word for us a rock on which we can stand. Jesus said, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a man that built his house on a rock. And when the pandemics come, and when the economic downfalls come, and when the the famines come, they will stand because they were founded on a rock. We're depending on you and your word today, dear Jesus. Please seal our hearts for your kingdom. Lord, give us a greater hunger and a thirst for your word that we could depend upon it more fully. We love you, Lord, and we're just praying for your presence to continue to be with us in this Sabbath. And as we go into this new week, help us to be a beacon of light. Help us to point people to a soon coming Savior and to the saving word that we have into a relationship with Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn with me to our closing hymn. It's hymn number 272. 272. Please... Please stand with me.